Support for the Blueprint Podcast comes from the SANS Institute. Since the debut of SEC 450, we've always had students interested in a matching course covering the management and leadership aspects of running a SOC. If you like the topics on this podcast and would like to learn more about blue team leadership and management, check out the new Management 551, Building and Leading Security Operations Centers. This new course is designed for security team leaders looking to build, grow, and operate a security operations center with peak efficiency, and it's a hands-on technical leadership course that takes you through everything from scoping threat groups to use case creation and organization, threat hunting, planning, SOC maturity, and detection assessment, and much, much more. Check out the course syllabus, labs, and a free demo at sansurl.com slash 551, and I hope to see you in class. My name is Jim Yacombe, and I am the Chief of Mission with the SANS Institute. This is a Blueprint Podcast, bringing you the latest in cyber defense and security operations from top blue team leaders. Blueprint is brought to you by the SANS Institute and is hosted by SANS Certified Instructor, John Hubbard. And now, here's your host, John Hubbard. A common question asked by many students and defenders is, what are the most important logs to pick up for my security operations function? Today on the Blueprint Podcast, we have Mick Douglas and Flynn Weeks that have developed a website and a tool to make the answer to this question very, very easy. Stay tuned to learn about how to get started with Windows and Linux logging, how to know if you're collecting too many or too few logs, and how to perfect your security logging strategy. All today on the Blueprint Podcast. All right, welcome back, everyone, to the Blueprint Podcast. For today's episode, we have a topic that I'm hoping to cover in a little more depth than we have on previous episodes. And it's a question that we've run into a lot with a lot of students, which is what kind of logs do I need to collect to catch attacks, right? So today on the podcast, we have Flynn Weeks and Mick Douglas, who have recently created a project called What to Log that helps us answer some of these difficult logging questions and also eases the deployment of some of the answers to those questions. So uh, before we dive into that, let's do a quick round of introductions here. Uh, Flynn, let's start with you. Give the listeners a little bit of your background story, current work, and what led you to collaborating with Mick on what to log. I am technically still a student. I graduate in about a month now. So I'm just kind of on that cusp of getting into the InfoSec field. I actually was put onto Mick through a friend from school. We were doing cyber competitions together, and he put me in for an internship with Mick. And as we say, it's history because I kind of got in with Mick, and I was like, I like forensics. And we were talking about logging one day. It's this this should exist. Where is it? And it's like, it doesn't exist. And I'm like, let's make it. So that turns out that's a really strange rabbit hole of why aren't these tools out there and making those tools available. Awesome. Very, very cool. And Mick, you've been kicking around information security for a while and, and teaching for SANS and all of that. But for those who might have not run into you, uh, can we hear a little bit about what you're up to and kind of your background? Sure. So, hey, everybody, my name is Mick Douglas, and I've been a SANS instructor now for about 13 years. And I just find all facets of InfoSec to be absolutely fascinating and lovely. And one of the things that I'm doing now in my quote unquote spare time when I'm not teaching for SANS is I run my own consultancy, InfoSec Innovations. And starting at like year two, I had an internship program and Flynn was in the second generation of those interns. And one of the things that we try to do is have the interns do some sort of intern project that is really pushing the needle forward. With a company named like InfoSec Innovations, you damn well better be delivering. (laughs) And so one of the things that we try to do is find 
things that are lacking. And as Helen indicated, we were working on a project and I gave her, I forget actually what the task was that kind of kicked it all off. And I just said, Hey, go gather this stuff. And she was like, cool. Give me the resource where there's this compendium of all the log settings that I need in order to do that. And I just was like, Oh <laughs> yeah. About that. And like, it was like one of those things where it's, it was like such a great question because I've been in the field for so long, I'm like, well, of course you have to hop to all these umpteen million locations and it's all disparate. And like, that's just how it is. And when she framed the question that way, I was like, dang, like we really we're as the industry, like we're really missing a fundamental mark. And it initially we were like, well, clearly this exists. This has to exist. And we, we spent, I, I, think I'd have to go back and look at the hours logged, but I know that I spent at least a half week of like actual hours searching for this because clearly this has to exist. And it's kind of actually terrifying that something is important as logging to everything from SIM, forensics, threat hunting, all of that stuff. We don't have something that's quite like what to log.com. And that's what we're trying to do is make it so that you have a single cohesive location for one-stop shopping on what are some recommended logging levels, how to check what your recommended logging levels are, and how to enable them so that you can get there. Very, very cool. So given that you've been doing this for a long time, before we dive into the specifics on how this solves the problem, what is the situation you would say you typically see when you go into a customer environment and look at their kind of logging strategy or setup? <laughs> I love that there's already laughter going on. <laughs> well, well, John, I got to give you credit that you, you kept a straight face when you even asked that question, because you know darn well the logging strategy <laughs> is that people have defaults. And that's that. Mm -hmm. And what's weird is that, you know, to Microsoft's credit, for instance, the default log levels have improved drastically, actually, over the decades. That said, they really leave a lot to be desired. And unfortunately, all too often when we do incident response or do breach readiness assessments, there's almost no stories that you can tell. I mean, it, it is just a barren wasteland of logs. <laughs> the setup I, I often see, right? Like you said, defaults and people are very kind of lost in the myriad, you know, channels and files and everything and that sort of thing. But what is it that you think is holding people back from figuring out what is the most important? Like, why is this such a struggle? I think part of it is because that information just hasn't been there before. No one's been telling people what to do. I don't think I think for the most part, it's been working. It's kind of like an old, old car. It's been working, so I'm not going to upgrade it because it's working. It's fine for now, like, but there's a lot to be desired still. Like, people are just okay with how it is and not willing to try into something new and something really exciting, which I think logs, they said, Mick says, they tell a story. But if you don't have them there to tell that story, then it's a case of it works, but it could be better. Yeah. <laughs> also, one of the things that I've been incredibly surprised and disappointed at the same time is just how difficult it is to do what we're trying to do. I don't mean to get you all, all triggered here, Flynn, but talk to us about what it was like trying to pull telemetry off of Mac OS. <laughs> <laughs> That's an ongoing struggle. Yeah. It's like these things 
what sounds like a, a simple request, like get me user login and log off events. Like, I don't know if your listeners have ever tried to do this, but if you try to pair login activity with log off activity, that becomes absolutely insanely difficult. In fact, in a lot of cases, and I'm, I don't know if we'll ever be able to solve for this, but there are plenty of conditions under which Windows doesn't actually log a log off. And things like this, it, it actually kind of breaks my mind when I think about like how weird, how just absent some of the things that you would expect to be can be. And, and it's just, it's been both frustrating and very fun at the same time to explore this space. <laughs> yeah. So with the, the difficulty of acquiring the information piling on top of the difficulty of like, what do I even need to pick up here? Maybe that's a good segue into the tool itself. So what to log, uh, which you've created here, can you explain a little bit more in depth kind of what it does and who it's for and how it approaches this problem? Well, our kind of philosophy, I guess, when starting it was we wanted to make logging simpler because it can be very easy to hop into a Windows event log and be there's like million different events and you don't know what's happening. You don't know how to trace them. So we wanted to break it down for anybody that wants to get a bit of information about their logs and see, okay, you should be logging your log-ons, your log-offs, the failed log-ons. You wanted to explain why you should be logging certain things. And then from there, we also broke it down into the minimum level logs, ideal and extreme. Because there's some things like process creation and termination that generate a lot of logs, but you may not always need that. But things like a log on and a log off, you should be doing that all the time because that can really give you a hint. So someone shouldn't be in your network. Someone is on your network, that kind of stuff. So we basically made a tool that you can go to and reference and say, hey, we're not logging this, but we should be. And here's why. I wanted to explain the ideas behind it. So does this tool approach, there's, there's kind of the two pieces of logging, right? There's the turn on the audit policy so it is logged in the first place. And then there's the, what do you actually take from the endpoint and move it into a centralized location that you're probably paying a lot of money for to do so, right? Does it address both of those problems or is it focused on one piece of that? So for now, we're focused on what the audit settings are so that you can just get the telemetry. I don't yet want to announce who's reached out to me, but a couple different providers in this space, like logging agent providers have reached out to us and we're trying to figure out how we can incorporate that because that second part of the equation also needs to be solved. But there's rough points. I'm going to be clear. There's rough points on that getting the logs off of a system, but it's completely broken in my opinion, when it comes to what audit settings are needed, at least in having a cohesive one-stop shop of here's the stories I want to tell across different operating systems that doesn't exist. And so our efforts right now are focused on that. And what operating systems and versions of that does this cover? So right now we are covering, you mentioned Mac, that's in the works because it's been a ongoing fight of trying to get you know, built-in Mac logs to work for us. I don't know why it's a fight. It shouldn't be. But we right now, our big, I think our main focus is probably uh, Windows, especially 10. Mm -hmm. And we do kind of do 7 as well. It's a little bit different, but we support 7. And we also do um, Linux, Ubuntu. So. Yeah. We'll eventually build out other operating systems. So we're going to have Mac Catalina, which still takes up the ultra majority of corporate clients that we're seeing. And then we'll move to Big Sur. And then we'll move, eventually, we plan on supporting Red Hat 
distros because that's very common in uh, North America for enterprise clients. Awesome. So when approaching a task, like I'm going to figure out all the most important log events to try to get into an audit policy, where do you start with a task like that? Is what's in there fed from a certain framework or anything like that? Kind of a double-edged sword on that one. Actually, we are working on adding frameworks and compliances. Like I said, mm-hmm. I, I have a binder over there and it's full of all the, I printed off all the frameworks I'm going through. You need this log, need this log. So we are kind of building that side of it out. Mm-hmm. There's a case of sitting down and thinking about events you're looking at. So, so what do I need to look at in my system that could be an indicator of compromise? This could be an indicator of an unhealthy network. So a lot of it was just us being like, what do we really, really need? But part of it too was just other industry recommendations that we didn't find out until much later. Microsoft has their own recommendation what you should be logging. And there's other things like that as well. NSA has one as well we've been referencing. And so it wasn't just us saying, do this. It was yeah. part of that, but also a lot of things saying, hey, you should be doing this as well. I've kind of looked around for the same sort of thing in the past and and come to the conclusion, like you said, that there's kind of like some partial solutions out there, but not like one comprehensive. Here's all the stuff in one spot and here's how to you know apply it and all of that. So you said you cover Linux and Windows, Uh, starting with Windows. What types of like log sources, well, log channels rather, uh, Mm -hmm. are you looking at? Like I assume security and system and that kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. did you incorporate beyond that? And what kind of things are going to be included if people use what's a logs recommendations? So we actually cover a little bit beyond that. I mean, a lot of the logs that you're really wanting are in the application log, system log, and security log. Those have a lot of events that are generated and that like, can be generated to turn them on. So there's a lot of information there that we can really pull from. We also cover um, the Wi-Fi log because that's not really talked about much. There's a log for that, LAN and Wi-Fi. So that's really interesting to cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there actually was a blog posting, and I'm I'm terribly sorry. I can't remember who it was that posted it, but it was threat hunting using lesser used event channels. And we're in the process of going through that and seeing which ones make for crisp detections. One of the things that I find odd is that a lot of people are still stuck in the the big three, as it were, the application system and security. And to be fair, there's there's a lot of good to be had there. But I think increasingly the real best bang for your buck are going to be those uh, specialized channels. Eventually we will be having some suggestions for the windows defender firewall, which is easily my favorite from a threat hunting standpoint, because I, I know definitively who you've been talking to once I have those. And one thing we're also adding is a, not in the, one of the big three like mentioned is um, Sysmon because that gives us a lot of extra information, really easy to install, really easy to run, and it is so helpful. And I don't think people are using it enough. Yeah, both of those are outstanding. Those are things I'm always, you know, constantly hitting on in class. And the firewall one, especially, I'm always trying to say, like, look, if you're not looking at your firewall logs, yes, they're high volume, but they're also like having a sensor everywhere that tells you oh, everything yeah. that's being talked to and what program's doing it, right? But of course, that brings up the specter of log volume because it can be super, super high volume. One of the things you had mentioned before was the three different kind of log levels that you had set up within the website. Could you explain a little bit about what went into that and kind of the definition of each of those? in your mind? Well, that's where it is a bit arbitrary, and we would absolutely love community input. To my knowledge, there's no real consensus guidance on like what the most criticality of the logs are. To date, everything is just log this or don't log it. And I think that that guidance comes, I, I, I don't 
want to offend anyone, but frankly, that uh, advice comes from people who are what I call ivory tower practitioners. They have not really lived in the real world and they don't understand what they're committing an organization to in terms of log volume. And the brutal truth of the matter is most organizations have to play this ugly game of, yes, I want all my fingers, except a couple of them got to go and I can't, I can't keep all my fingers. So which ones get on the chopping block? And what we're trying to do is make it more objective so that people can understand here's the event IDs, you know, just to keep it within windows, for instance, here's the event IDs that while good, aren't absolutely critical. Here's the ones that you must, must, must have bare minimum. And it gets really tough because if you look at the guidance that's out there, Microsoft makes a recommendation of event logs to monitor, and it's something like over several hundred event IDs that you need to monitor. And no, like I I don't know any organization that can do that. It's just way beyond the capacity for most orgs to do that. And so we're trying to make it so that people can figure out like, hey, here's where we're at. Here's how much size we have in terms of volume. Let's dial for that, and then they can pick what they need. The other thing that I hope people use it for is actually as part of a graduated logging approach. So during normal operations, we're catching these elements, but when we're under attack, we're going to dial up our sensitivity on the machines that appear to be the focus of the attacker. And then that way, you can hopefully catch them a little bit easier. So, yeah, we have the minimum, which is basically our idea of what the bare minimum is. You have to be logging these. And then there's idea, which is, it'd be nice, but we get it. It may start to build up your log volume. And then our extreme is, these are going to create a lot of logs, but they can also be crucial, especially when you said in an attack where you need that information. When you go in and you look at customer environments, is it usually a problem of too many logs being collected and it's wasteful or is it not enough being collected or is it kind of dependent on the situation? What do you think you see more of? I think it depends on the situation, but I will also say I think if it's common to have too many logs, but then because so many people aren't looking at them, they get overwhelmed, they're diving in, open security log, and there's 100,000 events, and just like, I don't know what to look for, I don't know where to start in that. So I think if you have too many logs, it is very intimidating to have to sit down and go through and understand what's actually happening. You can't create that story when there's so much filler in there. I see it. It's very weird. The distribution curve is not like a normal bell shape. I, I see almost like a bathtub curve where it's really extreme on both ends. One of the things that feeds the log it all and let the SIM sort it out are people misunderstanding what their compliance requirements are. The thing that I hear all the time is, well, PCI says that we have to log all the stuff. And I'm like, that's not at all what the PCI DSS says. And so they've over-SIMmed. And as a result, I've, man, I've got horror stories for days. Not too long ago, I was working with a client that any query any query beyond their default dashboard views, any query took 90 minutes. That's nine zero minutes per query. We were doing a purple team engagement with them. And I wish I was making this up, but by Monday at lunch, Monday at lunch, we had a two week backlog of queries at 90 minutes a pop, just from the red team work that we were doing. And, and I was like, guys, like you pack it up. This is absolutely, you can't do anything with this. And they're like, 
Yeah, we know. And like, it, it just was like, it was like the definition of failure. I like wanted to hug them all and be like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> so that's like part of the reason that we came up with this graduated response is because like log it all and let the sim sort it out is absolute utter madness. And sometimes it just, you can't recover from that. And on the flip side of that, too, there's times where it's a case of not logging enough stuff and you're not getting information out of it, which we've seen recently with some things. And it's a case of we can't tell you what happened because we don't know. There's no information for us to tell you here. Yeah, without violating NDAs, uh, Flynn and I were involved in an incident response. And it pretty much the report is, yeah, we know that the attackers were here based off of some of this telemetry, but we have no idea what they did once they got in. Here's the recommended approaches of how you need to do mass password resets. Here's how you need to segment off this chunk of the network because you have to assume it's completely compromised. And that's horrible. Yeah, that's not a boat anyone wants to be in when it's like, well, something happened and I hope it wasn't high impact, but it probably was. So let's say you're an organization that's in the in the boat of like too much is going on right mm. right now. Um, and maybe you read PCI literature and you're like, it means everything needs to be collected. Right. How would you suggest someone takes what they have now and cuts it down to what actually matters? And what part does what to log kind of play in in doing that? So as I mentioned earlier, we're looking at adding the compliance frameworks and basically saying, according to PCI's one of them is this is what you should be logging to be compliant with them. So basically, you want to start looking at what you are logging now, what logs you're generating, and then start saying this isn't going to help because there are logs that Windows generates that really is not helpful in any situation. I'm not sure how you'd ever use them. So you can say, I don't need to log that or I don't need to send that to my SIM. Like you can change you have to also have a bit of an understanding of what you need in your network. And you can say, hey, well, this log says we don't really need this. We do really need this. And so, okay, that should be high on our priority. This one can maybe fall down. If we don't get to it, not a big deal. Yeah. So what Flynn's talking about is a function that's going to be rolled out soon where you can say, here's the particular regulation framework that we have to comply with. And it will give you a set of configuration recommendations. Until that launches, like right now, what you can take advantage of is the suggested logging levels and then take that to your compliance officer or whoever and say, hey, here's what these folks believe based off of consensus. Let's do that. And that is a massive, massive reduction in your volume. The what's in it for me on most Windows event logs are appalling. Like I, I would say well over 90% of the events that window logs generate, I cannot for the life of me figure out like as a security professional, why I would want them as a sysadmin. Heck yeah, totally need it. But like for telling a, t- a story in terms of security, almost no value. Is there any particular process you use when you go to a customer environment that have too much, right? Is there like a set of steps where you can say like, here's how we find the junk that you're collecting that isn't being used? Like any specific searches? Are you looking at event IDs by volume or fields of any specific type or sort? Yes. So because our engagements by nature tend to be fairly short when we're doing a consulting gig, usually what we're doing, if the customer is willing to, we're having their team sit with us and we're showing them how we go through this thought process. The very first thing that I like to teach people is that 
If you don't have it enabled already, you should turn on query logging in your SIM, and that will tell you which data sources you're looking against. Let your query logging, and it, I want to be clear, there is a very slight performance penalty when you turn that on, but it's not too bad. It's not uh, like query logging on a database. It's much lighter touch than that. Once you've done that, after about a month, you'll have a really good understanding of what data sources people are working with. You usually can be pretty safe to, if there's compliance reasons not to keep them, you can kick those to the curb. And that's where most of our clients see somewhere between a 60 to 80% log reduction if they're in the log too many camp. And I mean, I want to be clear that first round, it is shocking how much data they can expunge. I mean, and they're just like, we can do what? And like a lot of times I even have them go back to the SIM vendor and try to renegotiate their license because they've had such a huge reduction. Yeah. One of the other things you had uh, mentioned a little bit uh, before that I've also seen some really good success on is the the graduated logging approach, kind of like you Mm -hmm. said, but you were talking about in the moment, normal times versus incident Mm -hmm. response moment. But one of the other things I, I usually like to encourage people to do is look at the importance of each asset. And it's not logging happens or logging doesn't happen, right? There's a whole spectrum and everything can kind of get that according to risk. Is that something that you were thinking of when you were designing the different log levels or how might you approach deciding what to log more on and how much more to log to kind of optimize? Let's say you have a set, you know, events per second you're paying for, right? Like how would you distribute that across the different systems that a company might have? What's your approach to that sort of thing? Well, when I'm trying to do uh, what I call min-max logging, (laughs) what I shoot for is what are the stories that they need to tell? I take more of a use case approach. And so here's the story that you want to tell. Here's the log sources that are required to tell that story. One of my favorite resources, and this is like one of the best superpowers that I can give people of all time. If you've never used Sigma for this, it is perfect. What you do is you just take the Sigma rule set and you look at it as a buffet and you say, I want that rule. I want that rule. I want that rule. And then you open up those Yaras and rather than using the Sigma converter, which a lot of people do and it's, it's fine. What I coach you to do is just look at the Yara and it'll say, here's the dependency you need. You flip that dependency on or not, you know, depending on what you your interest is. And then you just say, I don't care about the rest. And overnight, you have a dramatic change. Now, there's a couple things to unpack, too, about that you started talking about, like asset criticality. One of the things that I foresee, we're not there yet, but far off into the future of what to log. I want to actually make a logging recommendation script and it'll have to be in PowerShell and probably bash to support the different operating systems. But one of the things that I want to do is actually inventory the data on that asset and then make recommendations on what this is. Because a lot of what we do as defenders, in my opinion, is uh, flipped from what it should be. We talk about device criticality when, to the attacker, the device is immaterial. It's the data. And I have a couple of my clients that have really bought into that philosophy. 
And one of the things that's amazing, and I realize we're going a bit far afield from what to log, but one of my favorite things to do is to actually leverage DLP. Now, if anybody has ever heard me talk about DLP, you know that I am not a fan. I think that it is a horrible return on investment. However, you can do something like this. Run your DLP and find out how sensitive that host is based off of its criticality. If you have too many sensitive documents, if you have too many uncategorized documents on that, that machine is a whole lot of risk. And I have exactly three of our clients that have bought into this. What they do is they run their DLP. They assign points based off of how much critical data is on a machine or unclassified data on a machine. And if you score too many points, you don't get to go to the Internet because drive-by downloads. If you score way too many points, you don't even get email. So your machine, you're completely locked off. And that's a very strong way to force people to check in files and do a good job of protecting the data. Because now drive-by downloads, phishing, weaponized macros, all that stuff gets taken off the table. We'll be back after a quick break. If you're enjoying this episode, then you're undoubtedly interested in building the strongest security operations team that you can. For those who want to go even deeper, did you know that SANS has not one, but two courses that cover security operations centers as well? For the leaders, managers, and directors out there, my co-author Mark Orlando and I offer 551, Building and Leading Security Operations Centers. This course covers building your team, your physical and virtual workspace, getting the right data into your tools, and then focusing on security priorities through everyday execution of important security tasks and building the best SOC team possible. For the technical practitioners out there, my course SEC 450, Blue Team Fundamentals, Security Operations and Analysis, is designed to cover everything you need to jump in being the best SOC analyst that you can be. We cover important data types, SOC tools, security logs, malware, analysis technique, automation, and much, much more. In addition, if you want to prove you can deliver the best on any security team, both courses have an accompanying certification available from GIAC. That's the GSOM for 551 and the GSOC for 450. Check out both courses and free demos available on the SANS website. You can get registered today for an in-person course at one of our many events, or go to On Demand and take either class anywhere at your own pace. Thanks for listening. Yes, that's far out from what to log, but it's super relevant in that, like, if you have higher risk, right, like logging mm-hmm. needs to happen and you need to know what's happening on that machine because if something's exactly. going to go wrong, right, like that's probably where it's going to happen. On that front, since you brought it up, DLP wise, what are you seeing people using it for that you think it's it's failing at? Is it more the insider threat or the outside kind of threat? Is it in DLP, in my mind, it's, it's a breakdown of the use case of like accidental insider moving file where it shouldn't yeah. be malicious insider, malicious outsider. Does that, you know, people aren't doing it well kind of break down more so based on use cases like that? That's a great question. Um, you know, where I see DLP hopping the rails is people misunderstanding what it is. I loved that you said that it's a way of keeping from inadvertent exposure because DLP keeps honest people honest. There is never in the history of ever been a hacker that bypassed, like an attacker that bypasses your firewall, gets past your EDR, gets past your network IDS. And then they're like, no, DLP. <laughs> like, it does not happen. <laughs> does not happen. I mean, like if you can't encode data to bypass a DLP solution, like, 
you got to hang your spurs up. You are not, <laughs> you're not a hacker. So I see people misunderstanding what DLP is. The other thing that I think that especially organizations that struggle with are um, when people go to the cloud, when they're using things like Azure Identity Protection and they're using those auto classifiers, they grossly misunderstand what they are and how they should be used. And they're like, hey, this thing's got a, like, I forget what they're at now, like a 3% false positive rate, which is actually awesome. And then they're like, yeah, let's turn that puppy loose. Three and a half percent false positive rate at the size of your M365 instance? Oh, heck no. <laughs> like that's going to be enough to keep you off the streets and out of trouble for years. So you have to understand that these tools are very edge case and that they're more for giving you kind of a lay of the land. Don't think of them as like uh, ground truth. They're more of just yeah. like, hey, this data pool is a little more risky than that data pool. So if someone's wanting to leverage what to log, you have a section of the website that's called Sawmill, right? <laughs> Can you explain to us a little bit what that is and kind of the whole process? If someone hears this episode and they're like, all right, I'm in, I want to turn this stuff on with their recommendations. Like what, what are those steps going to look like for them? Well, the important thing is by the time this probably comes out, it'll actually be renamed to Logpile. Um, there was a, oh. another logging tool that was used to be called Sawmill, so we wanted to kind of avoid confusion with that. So it's being renamed. But basically, that's our answer to people who necessarily don't know or don't have the time to really get into configuring this logging on their system. So we're actually updating it a little bit, and we're going to have options for how to check these logs that you're generating, um, how to enable them, and how to disable them as well. So if you want... If, we don't recommend disabling a lot of these, but if you want to or you need to, you can now. So basically, it's going to give us the option to say, hey, look, it's a lot easier for you now to build a customized script for what you want to do logging on this system, which I think is going to be really, really helpful to people because I said people don't either have the time or just the background knowledge because like I said it can be very confusing to jump in and say, I want to turn this on, but I don't know how. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the – I found a constant problem is I find a lot of things is – there's just not information out there about different tools. Like I had to fight and fight and fight and find information for um, WEV to util, which is a built-in PowerShell command. There's like three people in that thing have mentioned it, and that's about it. There's and it's why aren't people using it? It's so helpful. And same thing with AuditPole. It's a little bit more about that one at least, but it's still a case mm-hmm. of I just sit down and just bash my head against until I figure it out. It wasn't a case of, here's this information. So you want to make it so like, hey, look, the information's right here. We've done the work for you. Yeah, it's oddly difficult to get. I know this sounds almost perverse, but I think that the offensive security community has done an amazing job of sharing information on how to do living off the land attacks. We in the defensive community have done a poor job of living off the land defense. And a perfect case of this is Mac OS. Mac OS now has a thing called the unified log format, and you can consume that. <laughs> very big sigh from Flynn. Um, you can consume that using a built-in utility called log. And it's log, and then you give it some parameters, and then it'll carve out the logs that are you know, relevant based off of your parameters. That said, that's about it that's been documented officially by Apple. Everything else comes from the Mac extreme enthusiast community. Like these are like edge case Mac OS folks. And 
there's like outside of the um, time slice selection, they use the concept of predicates. These predicates that they have not well documented and not at all intuitive. And it's just really, really odd. So I think that as an, as defenders, we need to do a better job of using what we have rather than relying on vendor products that may or may not be giving us as great of telemetry as we can get native to the OS. Part of the thing that's driving us forward on this is, and one of the reasons this will always be a free resource, always, always, as long as ISI is a company, what to log will exist. And the reason that we want that to be is we take on a certain amount of pro bono work just because we think that's the right thing to do. And one of the things that crushes my heart is when I have not-for-profits tell me, well, we can't do this because we don't have funding. And that's not the case. Like it's not, money is not the limiting factor, at least right now. It's more of the techniques and anything. It's the information. Yeah, making that information available. So what we're trying to do is give back to the community and we've, been so happy with how this has been received like if if folks are hearing this and are like oh my gosh that's a great idea like how can we contribute reach out to us um we would love 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 your feedback i mean yeah that's part of our thing is we want a lot of community input so it's not just mick and i sitting behind our keyboard saying hey do this like you want to hear it from yeah. other sides because someone may come and say hey look this should be moved up to minimum level logging and here's why we'll listen to you if we think you're wrong we won't do it but we want to hear what you have to say about it because you may change our mind and you may present we haven't thought of i think is really important yeah absolutely i love that you brought up the living off the land for defense as a concept i like that a lot if you were to be approached by an organization that's like we don't have a lot of money we, right we have a couple servers we have mm-hmm. what's built into the operating system and all of that can we explicitly say, like, how might you set up something that would be like the minimum viable with free tools built into Windows and all that kind of stuff? Like, what kind of architecture would you build for security logging uh, around that mm. sort of thing? Yeah, Sysmon, <laughs> Flynn, heck yeah, Sysmon. Then I would go to what to log and light up the things that you're interested in. And then I would take advantage of Windows event forwarding. I think that Microsoft has done a massive disservice on Windows Event Forwarding. That is literally one of the coolest things that they have made in ages. And the fact that, you know what, here's my bold statement. I think that every organization should be using Windows Event Forwarding, period, until you find that you need to use a different log agent for some other reason. Like Windows Event Forwarding should be what every single org uses. What is it about Windows Event Forwarding that, well, first of all, maybe we should describe like Windows Event Forwarding, like it's sitting there, right? It's a yeah. log agent, right? And, and I, I was hoping you'd answer the question with talking about Windows Event Forwarding because where I was going with that is what's a log, you know, sets up what's logging on the endpoint. But then in terms of the budget collection piece, right, uh, Windows Event Forwarding kind of solves that piece of the puzzle. But what is it that you love so much about it that makes you put out that statement? Oh my gosh, there's actually a ton to love about Windows Event Forwarding. So one thing that I like about it is that it's highly efficient. One of the complaints against log agents is, heck no, I don't want another agent on my server or on the desktop. We've already got seven. Like, what's this going to be, lucky number eight? You know, like, and I get it, I get it. So if you have a properly tuned Windows Event Forward filter on a machine, you're barely 
taking CPU and RAM. Like it's imperceptible. So that's item number one. Item number two that I love about it is you can make it, it's uh, encrypted by default. So it's secure in transit, which is amazing. And then there's a function that almost never used, even among the few, the proud who are using it as event forwarding. Most people are using it in a push where the client, the host is pushing to your Windows event collector. You actually can make it so that the Windows event collector can reach out and pull logs off of a machine. And I have a couple clients that are tooled for, like if certain telemetry comes in from a machine that triggers an event and it grabs additional logs that otherwise wouldn't normally be collected. And so Windows event forwarding can do both push and pull. And then finally, the last thing that I like about it is it is shockingly efficient. Your Windows event collector, Microsoft tells you that you can have 10,000 hosts feeding 10,000 events per second to one Windows event collector. Now, I do not recommend that you go for a high score there. I've never got density that great. But I have, for one of my clients, I do have one Windows event collector at their corporate campus at their main corporate campus, and they're sending, I think it's 5,000 hosts. Uh, just just over 5,000 hosts are sending to one Windows event collector. Wow. So the density is actually really good. I, I don't know if I would try to go to the 10,000. Like, that feels weird. I don't push my other log aggregators that hard. I don't know why I would do that with Windows event forwarding. But I mean, yeah, it, it is a great outstanding kind of option that's just sitting there waiting to be utilized if you need to do. And it does filtering really, really well, too. Oh, and yeah. I'm going to get some XPath query and some of that kind of <laughs> well, less the, simple to figure out sort of pieces of it. But other than that, right? So the easiest way to build your own XPath query is go into the Windows event viewer and then make a filter logic. And then inside that Windows event filter logic, there's a tab called XML. Click that, and it's generating for you live the XPath query syntax that you need. And that's how I do all of my work. I cheat. It's one of the log, actually. I think, oh, what, what log is that? But one of them has that in there because it was a case of it's not intuitive to figure it out from the command line. So it's, it's, let's just do that. It's the Wi-Fi stuff, I think. It has to be. Very cool. So if I have this right, tell me if I got this. You're an organization that doesn't know exactly what to log. If you're trying to get something set up and you don't have a lot of money, you can go to the what to log website, hit the sawmill soon to be called log pile function, right? Kind of checkbox the, the log level you're interested in, and it will automatically generate you the commands that you need. You can take those, deploy it out to the systems. Um, Windows event forwarding is there for collection. Anything that I missed on that or any other details that we want to throw in about what to log or otherwise. If you're just a really free. big log enthusiast. We do. I mean, I have, <laughs> I have fallen behind on a little bit due to some other projects we were doing with actual like, client work and stuff like that. We do have a blog that I post on occasionally talking about different things that are happening with logs and why they're so important and why they should stay important. So, And it's so, all free. All free. All free always. Fantastic. We love it. 
Final question. Where do you think, uh, what to, you've already kind of answered this in some respects, but you mentioned the inventory thing. What, where else do you think uh, what's log might go towards in the future? Are you thinking about cloud log sources or any of that kind of stuff, like in oh, terms of software as a service, AWS and all that? Uh, any plans in the short term or medium term future? We have a lot of plans. I think one of our big things is Mac logging because I'm determined to get it figured out now. Um, we're um, adding more support for Linux logs and we're also going to be adding a bit more scripting as far as some of the logs need a bit more than just a simple audit pull command. So we're going to be working on that as well and trying to get that log pile fleshed out for every single log and for every single operating system. So we're doing a bit of that, adding the compliance frameworks. We have a lot in the pipeline that's coming down and we are also looking at adding more operating systems and also just said more sources you want to start adding cloud systems and that kind of stuff in the future. And as if that weren't enough, also common applications. One of the things that makes me really sad is that I see lots of guidance on how to configure operating systems, but there's an appalling lack on like how to configure Microsoft SQL Server to feed telemetry into a SIM. And so usually what happens is that the well-meaning SIM engineer shows up to the DBA and says, hey, I need you to turn on all these audit things. And then the DBA freaks out because there's like going to be a 20% performance impact. And that's never going to be okay in the real world. So um, we're hoping to, in addition to everything, we're hoping to also give some real world and good guidance on how to configure web server logging, database logging, as well as various cloud API. One of the things that is, and it makes sense if you think about it, but most software as a service platforms, the default logging is set up for the advantage of the cloud provider, not you. And so the logs that are set up in cloud environments are almost always a Polling. They're far, far worse than what we've been talking about. There's almost nothing that's there. In a lot of cases, all you have is like user log on to the ID system, and that's it. So we're going to be spending a lot of time on like, here's different configuration change logs to capture. Here's different item creation, deletion type events to monitor for. So yeah, we got a lot of work and we will absolutely take whatever help we can get from anyone. Very, very cool. All right. Well, I think that about closes it up for today. To end here, Flynn, where can we find your blog posts and connect with uh, you online and, and follow what you're doing from here on? So I have a Twitter, which is Sounds of the Time. There is also a Twitter and a Reddit, a whole subreddit set up for what to log. That's under just what to log. Um, and the blog posts are on whattolog.com. So if you want to read any of those, I think they're interesting. So yeah, I'm online. I'm reach out to me anytime. Awesome. And Mick, where can we find you online and, and all your info? So I'm on Twitter at Better Safety Net. And in addition to all the stuff that uh, Flynn said about whattolog.com, you can also check us out at InfoSec Innovations. If any of this sounds interesting to y'all, we do bespoke defense and this is our bread and butter. And if you think that this is cool, Wait till you see the stuff that we can't share due to NDA reasons. <laughs> awesome. So thanks so much for both of you for joining for the podcast today. Sounds like an awesome project with a very bright future that's going to be incredibly useful to a ton of people. So so thank you very much for putting in your time uh, for doing that. And hopefully we can get some community involvement and well and help build it up, you know, all the better, all the sooner. With that, I think we're finished up. So thank you for joining us on the podcast today and we'll be watching. Well, thank you. This thank was you a huge... So Hey, Blue Teamers, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Blueprint. 
If you've got a second and want to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It would be really, really meaningful to us. And if you have any ideas or suggestions, I would love to hear them. Your reviews are going to be one of the best ways to help others find this podcast. So anything you could do would be a big help. As always, thank you for listening. You can connect to me on social at SecHub, S-E-C-H-U-B-B on Twitter or on LinkedIn. So until next time, thank you for listening to the Blueprint Podcast.